Why are shovel-ready projects so crucial to a multi-asset qualified opportunity fund strategy? And how can a fund be structured in order to allow investment from self-directed QOFs at the project level? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Joining me on the podcast today is John White president of Larson Capital, and John joins us today from St. Louis, Missouri. John, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me. Good to have you on, John. Uh, so you are at Larson Capital. Maybe just to start us off, can you give us a little bit of background on your firm and the Qualified Opportunity Fund that you're offering? Absolutely. So Larson Capital Management uh, was created back in 2012. Uh, it's a wholly owned subsidiary of a financial services firm called Larson Financial Holdings. Uh, by trade, those guys are, are wealth advisors, uh, primarily focusing on doctors, um, everything A to Z from doctors, from uh, insurance products all the way up through wealth advisory or wealth management services. Um, that's kind of where they cut their teeth. But, but our private equity firm was started back in 2012, really to provide uh, an alternate investment platform uh, for our doctors and our clients. Um, so last year, uh, about a year and a half ago, we kind of got involved uh, in Opportunity Zone deals. We created our, our first Opportunity Zone um, project. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that we were the first in the country to do it, but we were one of the first uh, in, the countries, uh, in the country to do it. Uh, we spent uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, getting it structured, finding out uh, how to do it, uh, the correct way to do it. And, uh, you know, from there, uh, we've done uh, four or five projects and we have uh, uh, two, two ongoing projects. So uh, we've been fortunate and we continue to kind of push forward. Sounds good. And let's dive into your fund a little bit more. What's your overall strategy or investment thesis? And, and I'm curious what types of uh, asset classes you're investing in and, and, and where also, where, which, which opportunity zones around the country do you like? Yeah, great, great question. So, um, you know, I, I would love to uh, to tell you we have something super sophisticated, but the the kind of the first gate that we look at is any project that that we identify or that we want to move forward with, you know, has to be a good real estate deal. In other words, uh, a lot of the opportunity zone deals that I find or I see, um, they're, they're they're not good projects. So um, if they weren't in an opportunity zone, uh, they would not be enticing or or people wouldn't be chasing it. So the the first gate for us is would we buy it if it wasn't, or would we invest in it if it was not in an opportunity zone? Uh, once we get through that, that gate, um, you know, we, we really focus on, on two avenues. One is, is office. Uh, the first opportunity zone deal we did, uh, we built an office tower, um, uh, ground up development uh, in an opportunity zone. Uh, the, the current project's about 94% occupied. We had pre-leasing and and uh, everything was, uh, was uh, leases were signed, everything was identified early on and, and, and buttoned up. Um, so primarily office, and then we also do multifamily development. So right now we've got two multifamily developments ongoing, uh, one here in St. Louis and one down in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, so, so those are uh, primarily what we focus on, office, multifamily. We do look at some industrial deals, 
uh, that happen to be in opportunity zones, but uh, uh, but but right now that's our, our primary focus. Good. That's uh, that's pretty common uh, throughout qualified opportunity funds. Multifamily being one of the biggest asset classes that are typically invested in by a qualified opportunity fund. A lot of office on your end too. It sounds like. Um, tell me, John, how are you differentiating yourself to deliver value to your shareholders in this OZ market? What what makes your fund or your approach different? Oh, great! A great question. So, what we do, which which I think is unique, is is a couple pieces. Number one. Uh, the projects that we invest in uh, on the development side are 100% shovel ready. Um, we looked at deals when we first uh, identified opportunity zones as something we wanted to do. You know, we looked looked at deals East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, all over. And, and, and the primary theme that I kept seeing was um, people were raising dollars to go into an opportunity zone, uh, but the actual shovel time, the actual build time was a year, two years, three years out. Um, they still had to go get entitlements. They they wanted to raise the capital. That the deal wasn't ready. Um, so what really differentiates us is we uh, partner up with um, developers that we trust, that we know, that we have relationships with, uh, that have projects that are 100% ready to go. So by the time that we uh, negotiate and sign uh, sign the contract and get the get the the the, the deal inked, uh, we literally start construction the very next day. And so that's key because, as you know, as my dollars said, as our investor dollars sit on the sidelines, they're not they're not earning interest. They're not uh, they're not building value. Um, it, it, it's setting there, uh, you know, basically uh, collecting dust. So shovel ready jobs is, is our, uh, projects is key to, to what we're doing. The second piece that we do is by partnering up with developers, um, we're partnering up with somebody who has an expertise on what they're doing. Um, we have a a very uh, strategic partnership where um, they do the development on the project. We provide the capital for the project that we own or our investors own. Um, and then when the project is finished and when the project is stabilized, that's when the exit happens. So we, we provide the developer uh, with an earnout uh, buyout. So basically, we predetermined uh, what, the, what the buyout looks like. Uh, so, for uh, example, our multifamily project in, in uh, St. Louis, uh, we've determined about a 7% cap rate on the exit. So, the, the developer gets paid uh, basically on a stabilized asset once it is stabilized at a 7 cap. But we've also determined that the market rate for that or the market cap rate or market value for that is closer to a 6 cap or perhaps under. And so, what we work into our deals, which, which creates immediate value for our investors, is that arbitrage between what we're actually paying for it versus what it's worth, um, and 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 that is very very unique in the market um, from what I what I've seen. Again, it's it's creating value quickly for our investors uh, in getting their money to work and providing a return for them very quickly uh, throughout that process. And you mentioned exit strategy in terms of getting your developer out, but you know more and more I'm receiving questions and comments from my listeners and, and my readers and, uh, and my audience in general about, you know, what are the different exit strategies of these funds at the LP level or the GP level, uh, you know, when the 10-year holding period is up? Do you have any thoughts on, on that? What is your long-term exit strategy to, to exit these assets and to create a capital gain for your LPs at the end of the day after 10 plus years? 
Yeah, so so obviously with Opportunity Zone uh, projects, I mean, you, ha you have a, a minimum hold period of 10 years. Um, we, we look at a couple different uh, specific exit strategies, one being, well, uh, three to be exact. One being is we recognize that all of our investors have a liquidity event uh, come March uh, or when their, their capital gains comes due in 2026. And so one of the things that we look at is how can we, as the general partner, provide a liquidity event so that they can pay their taxes. Uh, we look at whether it's through refinancing uh, of the asset. Uh, in other words, uh, we build an asset that has a $40 million value, um, you know, uh, with 70% debt on it. We look at an opportunity to raise the value or see what that value may look like to refinance, to be able to provide cash back to our investors to make those tax payments. Um, so, so that kind of goes into the thinking. But the second piece really comes into um, you know, we don't necessarily have to hold uh, the asset for 10 years. In other words, we can trade out of the asset and go into another opportunity zone project, provided it makes sense to sell. Um, I, I always, uh, when I talk to uh, colleagues and peers, illustrate that if we have a good offer, if, or if we're, we're hitting our performer, or we're above where we think we should be, an exit, an early exit to be able to go do another project might make sense. And so we do look at, you know, potentially early exits, potentially what that looks like, uh, keep the pipeline of other potential opportunity zone deals uh, that we're looking at that may make sense. And then, of course, the third one is, you know, at the end of 10 years, then you then you look at just a, a normal exit of the asset uh, through, through a disposition process. Yeah, that's great. That, and then that makes sense. I like that uh, you provide that liquidity around 2026 when that tax liability is due and that tax liability could be. Pretty, pretty sizable for some investors, uh, uh, especially depending on where tax rates go from here. Uh, recording this episode in early 2021, who knows what the tax rates on cap gains will be in 2026, but I think the consensus is that it's likely to be higher, if not much higher than it is today. Um, want to talk about, John, how you're growing your business. What, what are you doing to, to grow the business further and, uh, and, and to raise capital for your funds? What types of investors do you typically partner with? Yeah, great question. So, so primarily, uh, uh, most of our investors are high net worth individuals, family offices uh, that that uh, we have relationships with. Uh, you know, this year alone, we took uh, two of the uh, of the largest uh, uh, single investments uh, that that we've had in firm history. Uh, one was at twenty million, and one I believe was at twenty five million. Uh, those are just individual checks. So that's primarily probably about eighty percent of what we raise comes from from that uh, kind of sub-market, if you will. Uh, the other 20% comes from our internal network. Uh, again, uh, Larson Financial uh, Group, which is our RAA and Wealth Advisory Service, um, they've got uh, you know about 1.5, maybe 2 billion of assets under management. Uh, inside of that, they're you know, obviously accredited investors that, uh, that uh, uh, look at our alternative, alternative investment platform, like what they see in it, and end up uh, investing with us. That's great, John. And uh, if I understand correctly, also your fund is somewhat unique in in that you do allow for uh, investors' own QOFs if they have their own captive qualified opportunity fund. They can come in and not invest in your QOF because that would be a violation of uh, the OZ regulations. But they can come in directly at the project level. Is that right? Can you can you explain how that works and 
and why that's of benefit to certain investors? Absolutely. So, so we have a lot of our, our higher net worth individuals that have their own QOF funds. And so what they elect to do, uh, a lot of times they don't like investing into a, quote, uh, you know, blind pool. Um, they want to go into a deal specific. So in any number of our projects where uh, they, they like the deal but don't necessarily want to go into a blind fund, um, they can uh, co-invest with us. So what, what happens on a technical term is our, our fund, our Larson Capital QOF fund, uh, invests down into a partnership. Uh, and then our other uh, sidecar investment or our other uh, investor that has their own fund invests into that partnership as well. And then that partnership drops down and buys the, uh, buys the real estate or the project. Uh, so it's a pretty seamless uh, transaction. And, and, and again, it, it, it's something that, that further differentiates uh, us from other people because we're, we're indifferent to whether you go into our fund or if you want to invest directly into a project. Uh, that, that, uh, that we don't care. Yeah, at the end of the day, the uh, the project's getting capitalized. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a that's a way for an investor with his or her own QOF to come in directly at that qualified opportunity zone business or QOZB level to invest in just one asset at a time. Uh, if they only like one of your assets, or maybe they like two of your assets, they can invest in one or two of them without having to invest in the broader fund, which is a a larger multi asset fund. Um, and you referred to it as as a blind pool fund, but um, some of the assets have been identified, I suppose, that uh, that it allows you or that you have a – or that your fund has a, a, a mandate to go after other projects that are um, similar to the, the, the projects you have previously invested in but may not have been identified yet. Is that right? That is correct. I mean, we have very, very uh, uh, precise – uh, uh, directive within our within our fund, like we've identified what the asset classes are we're going to go after. Um, in many cases, uh, those are somewhat known prior to investors putting dollars in. Uh, but but at the end of the day, I mean, what what I like as a, as the GP uh, about allowing co investment and allowing these uh, other groups to bring in their own fund is uh, it, it adds the diversity uh, to to my my fund. In other words. Uh, if we have a fund that has $50 million in it and I have co-investment going along, uh, I can buy more projects. I can invest in more projects. I can spread the, the risk out amongst, uh, amongst more projects. Uh, and again, it's, it's a win-win. It's a win for my fund investors and, uh, as well as a win for uh, those uh, other clients that are bringing their funds into, into these deals specific. Good. That, that makes sense. Um, a little while back, you were talking about your pipeline. Uh, I wanted to dive into that a little bit more for our listeners out there who may be real estate developers. Maybe they have a project that, uh, that's ready to go. What's, what's your advice to them? How can they get in front of you and, and what types of deals are you looking for in particular? I know they have to be shovel ready, but can you give us some more details there? Yes. Yeah, so, so we, we, uh, as a firm do not focus, uh, on the, the, the big markets, like we don't want to be in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles. Um, uh, candidly, the the pricing to, to the entrance pricing to get into some of those markets, uh, you know, our required returns are a little bit higher than than uh, than what we can get in those markets. Uh, but but primarily, I mean, we 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 look at deals in the southeastern United States. We look at deals in the Midwest. Um, we've done uh, uh, through our other funds. Uh, we're in Minnesota, Texas. Uh, Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, uh, Florida, 
uh, South Carolina. So uh, we're, we're pretty diverse as it relates to where we can go. But the reality is, is what we're looking for is we're looking to partner up with people that are experts in what they do, developers that, that have projects uh, that are, are ready to go and, and are, are simply in need of, uh, of a partnership because we, we view it as a partnership uh, to bring in the equity to partner with to get the project finished. Um, so, so those are, I mean, we're, we're uh, I like to say we look at any and all deals, but we're, we're very selective as it relates to who we partner up because it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's very important we get it right um, and we get it right the first time. Uh, yeah. But as far as getting, but as far as, as uh, getting in front of us, uh, please feel free to go to our website, larsoncapitalmanagement.com. Uh, get get on the website. Uh, uh, you can you can email us. You can send us projects, and and again, we get back to to anybody whether we whether we like the project, don't like the project. Uh, you know, we we love building relationships. So, uh, you know, while we might go forward, uh, uh, might go forward, uh, might not go forward, we we still love to talk to you. Uh, you can also, if you're an investor, reach out to Kevin Maloney. Uh, he is uh, the head of our capital markets and our our uh, investment. Uh, investment team, investor relations team, and uh, he can he can point you in the right direction. He can be a huge benefit and a, and a huge advocate for uh, for what you're trying to get accomplished. Okay, good, John. Um, we're winding down here, but wanted to ask you just a couple more questions. Um, you know, one question I'd like to know, you've been doing OZs now for a year and a half, as you mentioned um, toward the beginning of, of today's episode. What have been some of the biggest Opportunity Zone challenges that you and your firm has faced in that short time span? Yeah, so, so the biggest challenge that I see and that we face is finding the right deal. Um, there are hundreds and hundreds of deals out there, whether it's uh, everything from hotel development to you know, fill-in-the-blank developments, but it's really honing in and finding the right deal. Uh, again, it, it, my advice to anybody that's looking into to doing an Opportunity Zone deal is make sure that the deal that you're looking at Make sure the deal that you're looking at actually makes sense as a real estate play, irrespective of the opportunity zone deal, uh, because that that uh, a lot of these deals that I'm seeing just are, are fundamentally not not solid real estate investments. And it's uh, again one of the the major reasons you're doing an opportunity zone uh, project is is not just the tax deferral, uh, but it's also the tax deferral on the gains and the that, that the future gains that you get. And so you need to make sure that you, you in fact, are going to have those gains uh, in the future. Yeah, that's a very good point uh, that I like to point out from time to time is that, uh, you know, without an appreciation in the assets that you're investing in, uh, the tax benefit doesn't really exist at the end of the day. So always make sure you're investing in deals that make sense, of course. Um, John, it's been great speaking with you today. Before we go, can you tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about Larson Capital and if they're interested in getting more information about the OZ fund that you're offering. Absolutely. So you can always go to our website, LarsonCapitalManagement.com, uh, to read more about who we are and what, uh, what projects we have going on. Uh, and then specifically, if you'd like more information, again, I highly recommend reaching out to Kevin Maloney. Use him as a resource. Uh, he's very knowledgeable, very good about what he does. Uh, Kevin can be reached at Kevin dot maloney that's m-a-l-o-n-e-y at larson hyphen capital dot com uh, and, and and again kevin uh, kevin's uh, uh very knowledgeable can can certainly point you in the right direction uh, as it relates to opportunity zones 
Very good. Thanks, John. And a special thank you. Shout out to Kevin Maloney for helping facilitate this interview today. Thanks, Kevin, for for doing what you do to connect me with some great um, qualified opportunity fund issuers around the country. Uh, For our listeners today, as always, I'll have show notes available on the Opportunity Zones database website. You can find those show notes for today's episode at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there you'll find links to all of the resources that John and I discussed on today's show. And I'll be sure to uh, link to Kevin Maloney's email address, and I may even put his phone number up there as well. So head on over there if you want to give Kevin a shout. John, thanks for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you.